additional coverage podcast number seven i'm your host tim hicks and joining me for today's additional coverage is the effervescent courtney clark hey tim hey everybody so great to be here courtney is an author and speaker and is here to help us develop the tools to be adaptable and resilient no matter what we struggle with she founded her first company at the tender age of 29 and is the author of two books the giving prescription and the successful struggle and a third book that just hit the shelves in May, Revisionary Thinking. Today, we're going to talk about retaining employees and becoming more adaptable. But before we get started, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. Okay, Courtney, um, thanks for being with me today. I understand that you're not a very good tap dancer and an even worse Pictionary player. <laughs> it's true. All of those things are true. But fortunately, that's not what we're here for. Not here for either purpose. I could use a little help here. So let me set this up for you. So the pandemic brought along with it something that we now refer to as the great resignation. And recovery has been difficult at best for a lot of companies. So how are we supposed to hire and retain enough talent to complete all the work that needs to get done. It's very tough. I am not an employee retention expert. What I am is a resilience and adaptability expert. And what I realized is that I think there is an overlay of those two issues that isn't getting talked about. And so I realized that my research into adaptability, I think can speak to why some organizations are having trouble retaining employees and why some employees are feeling like it's easier to move on than to stay and grow where they are. So tell me more. So uh, when I did my research uh, for two years, I researched, interviewed over a thousand people, all ages, all different industries, 74% of them said that in an ambiguous situation, like when change is on the horizon, they don't feel able to learn as they go. That's the very definition of adaptability. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to me, that feels like a basis of success in almost any industry is that, that willingness and ability to learn as they go. But what a lot of people indicated is that when change is on the horizon and things are uncertain, they go into survival mode. They, they shut down. They shut down and, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They get into that fight or flight maybe kicks in. Right. And, and that's just a natural response, right? Totally a natural response. But probably the worst time to have that natural response. That's when our willingness to be adaptable and flexible should kick in, but it doesn't. So we have to manually override <laughs> and teach ourselves. We have to practice one of the things that I I say a lot is that we often resist change because, you know, we've got our set norms and that's part of how we've become successful. We don't, we don't want to change until we have to. And then you're like, well, well, okay. All right. If you make me change, I'll change. But what happens then is we haven't gotten used to change. We're, we're out of practice. I can tell you from experience, the insurance industry is the slowest (laughs) that I've ever experienced to, uh, to adapt to change. Sure. Big, big ships turn slowly. Mm-hmm. So do you have any specific tips for helping us to stay engaged when we just don't believe that we can? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in the research, what became very clear is that what I call revisionary thinking, becoming flexible and adaptable, you move through three stages. And the three stages are let go, think up, and move on. Let go, think up, move on. So let go that first stage. That's where we come to grips with the fact that the way we've always done it is over. We, we can't get it back. For a lot of us, um, particularly the research found, the longer you've been in your career, the more seasoned, let's say, yeah. um, yes. <laughs> the polite way to say it, right? The more seasoned you are, uh, the harder that can be, which makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah, longer you've been in your career, you've committed to that plan. And we tend to go, well, that's the way it's always been done, when sure. that is absolutely the wrong take, the, the wrong way to go. Well, what we can do in situations like that, I think, is reflect on people who have been forced into one of these detours and come out successful. So I love to use uh, the story of Steven Spielberg. We know him as this like creative guy, big success. But there was a period of time where he couldn't make a change and it almost cost him big uh, when he was filming Jaws. Do tell. Yeah, early in his career, right? He wasn't like the big name he was today. This was one of his earlier films. Well, they had sunk a bunch of money into making Jaws with this big, expensive robot shark. Mm -hmm. Which if you've been to Universal Studios, you've seen it. You've seen it, <laughs> right, right. And they start filming and they realize this shark looks dumb. <laughs> it is not intimidating. It looks totally fake and it looks cheap and it wasn't cheap, especially for the time. So they were like, oh man, they tried to shoot it some different ways. Like they, they tried a little bit of creativity. And then Steven Spielberg was like, nah, I just need to go build a better robot shark. So he goes back to Hollywood. He asked for all this money to build a better robot shark. And they said, no, he wasn't yet the proven quantity that he is today. So they weren't going to sink all this money into this project additional money after they've already done it once yeah they already built this one and they're like too bad so sad you got to work with what you got and spielberg's like i can't i got this dumb shark and it's not scary and i can't make it look realistic and so he was about to throw in the towel when he had an aha moment and he realized that instead of doing the typical monster movie where it's like close-up shots of the monster, like rawr, rawr, rawr. Instead, he could build the fear in a totally different way. And instead of seeing as much of the shark as he had planned on, instead it was that we, the audience, saw through the shark's eyes. The fear happened when we saw not the shark, but the response to the shark. We saw what the shark was seeing. We saw the feet in the water, the little kids playing. And we were like, <gasps> we heard the music. Dun -dun, dun -dun. We knew what was coming, not because we saw the shark, but because we could see what the shark was seeing. He flipped the point of view perspective. He took the concept of the typical monster movie and inverted it. For me, that lesson is like, what if in those moments... When you can't do something the way you've always done it, you find your opportunity to do it better. And sometimes that's exactly what you have to do. I call it stage lighting. You have to turn on different stage lights to see it differently.
Ooh, I like that term. You can use that if you want. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. So that's how, that's that first stage, right? We let go of the plan instead of sort of clinging to it and going like, well, maybe if we wait long enough, things will go back to normal. <laughs> no, that never happens. It really doesn't. Um, what, what then happens is our opportunity passes us by. So we, we let go of the plan. And then in that second stage, you're asking like, what do we do? This is what I think is incredibly relevant to the employee retention issues. This is where we think up. So this stage seems to get missed the most when it comes to adapting to change, to being a revisionary, as I call it. Mm-hmm. If this is the moment where we generate ideas. It's called like idea generation, option generation, brainstorming. This is the the classic name for it. Most of us have been conditioned to, we see a problem, we fix it. Be decisive, be an action taker. But the problem is that when we do that, we are usually solving the problem the way we've always done it. Right. We're going with our unconscious bias and, and doing it the way we think it should have been done. Right. Which is how it should have been done in the world as we used to know it. I always say going going with your gut is great if your gut has been there before. (laughs) (laughs) But if your gut hasn't been there before, like the situations we're facing now, you can't go with your gut. Well, your gut's never been to the future, right? You know, we always always say that the one thing in life that never changes is change itself. But how do you Mm -hmm. deal with what I'll call change fatigue? I mean, especially over the last couple of years, the constant state of flux and change, it can cause people to simply become disengaged. Absolutely. So a couple things. First is that it's really important for us to hold on to what hasn't changed. And the reality is even when a lot is changing, there is so much in your life that hasn't changed, but we don't pay attention to those things because they don't call out for our attention. It's the people in your life or your family. It's the things that you do as a hobby or that make you you. It's the the way your mind works, your skills, what you bring to a problem or a situation, like all of those things, all of your, your knowledge and your abilities and the people who are in your corner, there's a whole lot that actually hasn't changed. Right. The world around you has changed and you have to figure out how to call on those different resources to then shape what needs to be done next. But you, you need to remember, if you are feeling change fatigue, I encourage people to remember and pay better attention to the things that aren't changing. It's okay for those things to fade into the background when you're not in that change panic mode. But if you need to call them to the forefront and make them a little bit more of a highlighted part of your life, that's okay. That's a good thing. And then it will feel often easier. And then the other is practice for change. Like what are you doing in your life that has built you up to be ready? If I said tomorrow, Tim, you are going to the Olympics to be a weightlifter and your goal is to deadlift 700 pounds. I don't know anything about weightlifting. That could be a lot. That could be a lot. Your goal is to weightlift 700 pounds, okay? Okay. You're going to go to the next Olympics and deadlift 700 pounds. So which training program would you choose? Would you choose the training program where you show up at Olympic Village the night before, load 700 pounds on a bar, and are just like, I'm going to stay here until I lift this 700 pounds? Or do you choose the training program where you're like, okay, I'm going to go into the gym, see how much I can deadlift today. 
And then I'm going to build a plan where I incrementally increase between now and the Olympics. You're picking me, right? Right. But sometimes, most of the time, when it comes to being change ready, we wait and we do the version that's option A. Wait till the night before and oh my. Yeah. Wait till you're in the thick of it. And you're like, well, now I have to change. Now I have to lift this 700 pounds. And you didn't practice for it. Because you're right that we don't know what change. Who could have predicted this global pandemic? Right. But we know change is coming. It always is. It always is. So what are you doing? And I mean, it can be things as small as like, do you sometimes brush your teeth with the opposite hand? What are you doing to be a little bit uncomfortable to help yourself physically, cognitively, emotionally be ready for new things. Because when you can do that, when you can take on new hobbies later in your life, you are helping yourself even professionally. May feel like those are two totally different environments, two different arenas. Nope, it's still you. Like say, podcasting. <laughs> you I mean, taking this on, right? Right. Interestingly, I do think that in my life, I have better luck teaching things that I remember learning. I was, when I taught swimming lessons as a teenager, I was a better swimming instructor than some of the really great swimmers because it came so naturally to them. They were like, oh, you just, I mean, you just do this. I was like, okay, it's got to be at this angle. No, 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 you got to elbow up a little higher. What I teach now, when I work with teams, I come into companies or associations and I help them with resilience and adaptability. I am still a student of this. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that adaptability thing for a second. What would you say to the employee or even the leader that would look at what you're saying here with this adaptability thing and respond with, okay, so in other words, we're going to just chalk up the loss of Joe to attrition. They'll make the rest of us absorb his work and stop looking for qualified candidates. Mm, like that's, I mean, just total Debbie Downer. So this, this is the old, let's save money by making our employees less effective conundrum. Uh, not a great idea. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> but it does happen. It does happen. And I, I hear what you're saying that if we're telling people like, you should be more flexible, you should be more adaptable. So just deal with it. Mm -hmm. But that's not what the concepts of flexibility and adaptability teach us. They are not there to tell us, just accept whatever is given to you, just roll over and take it. It's actually the opposite. It's showing us how to take control when things do change so that we can continue to be successful. So for example, if your leadership team, if a boss comes to you and says, well, we've lost Christina. So now you're going to have to do all of your job and all of Christina's job. Adaptability and flexibility does not require that you somehow duplicate yourself <laughs> and do all of Christina's work. What it does mean is that your first response isn't, I quit. What you can do in that situation then is I would lean hard into the second stage of revisionary thinking, that idea generation, option generation. Come up with a list, present it to your boss and say, here is Christina's work. Here is my work. Here are Christina's deadlines. Here are my deadlines. I could prioritize Christina's work, but you are aware, of course, that that means that this, this, and this thing are going to slide off my plate. Yes. Or another option, I could prioritize this one project of Christina's that I know is overall our highest priority. And then I could do this project of mine next month. I could slide that back a little bit. A third option might be, 
didn't we bring in a contractor last year that we really liked? What about if the contractor took on like, so come to your boss with solutions, with options. So that's that think up, right? You show that you are adaptable. You're willing to try and make this work, but you're not superhuman. Right. And so you present options to them, options that are all okay with you. And then let them choose. And then have what works best. Yes. So it is adaptability is about rolling with the punches when things are difficult, but it's not about accepting poor treatment. Right. That is not the definition. It's about being comfortable enough with change that your first response isn't, no, that's not possible. Let's think about what the outcome of this would be. Okay. If we do that, then we do have to realize that the downline response could be, we've got to worry about these outcomes. And this requires a sense of ownership, not passivity. It's not, no, we can't do that. It's okay, but what part of it can we do? Is there at least a part of it that we can do? Yeah. And it's not, no, we can't do that. Or yes, whatever you say, boss, even if that means I'm going to give myself a heart attack. Yeah. Work 80 hours a week and be a total stress puppy. Right. It's, hmm, I definitely think part of this is possible, at least short term. So let's figure out what those parts are, what I can do, what you need to do to then accommodate me, shift my schedule around. So if you're familiar with improvisation, mm-hmm. they always say, don't say no. If you ever watch improv artists, somebody says something crazy. The response from the other people on stage isn't no. It's, oh, yes, you are a shark and you haven't had anything to eat in three weeks. So it's yes. And I think if we can keep that mindset with adaptability, it's not that everything is possible. It's that, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. And I think for that people, individual people can have that, the more we can get comfortable with change in the workplace. And as our leaders can also come to understand what that adaptability looks like, they can then work with their team, which I think will help employees stay in their jobs. They'll feel supported through change and heard. And that's going to make our organization stronger. That's so important. Just to feel like you're being heard. It is very important. Courtney, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. We could go on for another hour, I think. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your perspective with us. But that's about all the time that we have for today's podcast. But if our listeners would like to follow up with you, how might they get in touch with you? My website is CourtneyClark.com, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K. You can email me through there. You can call me through there. Love to chat with you. And if you have any comments about the show or any show suggestions, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. So until next time, I've been your host, Tim Hicks, with today's guest, Courtney Clark. Thank you so much for having me. I invite you to tune in next time when I will sit down with Sinead Condon to talk about empowerment, how to get it, and how to keep it. And if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you did, I invite you to like and subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Let your friends and colleagues know about the show too. And one more thing, if you don't mind, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It makes it easier for your colleagues to find us and listen to us. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 